two lower score. There's one rule! Welcome back to the Champions Playbook here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. It is our uh, our weekly live Q&A. Live Q&A here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. This is an awesome opportunity for anybody who's out there in the audience who is looking for some kind of golf lesson or golf tip or have any any questions about, you know, oh, I played today and I couldn't do X or Y, right? Like, this is a chance where you get the pro here, Mr. Scott Assey, to answer any of that. And it could be literally anything. It could be about your swing. It can be about pop culture. It can be about the Ryder Cup. It can be about the mental game, physical game, whatever you got to do. This is a great opportunity. So you said you had something to say before, too, right? Well, yeah. Well, other than I'm going to give some free stuff away today, too, tonight. Oh. Yeah. Imagine that. Got some giveaways. Maybe so, some free what? I'm not going to say yet. It's oh. going to be good. People are going to like this. Okay. So this one's coming out of my pocket. Um, anywho, it's not cash, but it's like cash if you play golf. Uh, <laughs> uh, but a note on match play versus stroke play. So if you listened in last week, uh, we had our kind of special Ryder Cup episode that went out. But they are two very different games, but you can learn a lot about stroke play through playing match play and vice versa. I, I, they can inform each other. You can begin to understand the differences between the two actually helps you understand the uniqueness about the two when you're playing them. So um, if you're somebody who's struggling to kind of get over that mental hurdle to sh- you know maybe break 75, break 80, break 90, um, <clears throat> or struggling in tournament play to finish well, get your buddies together. Uh, get together at your club, wherever you're at. I mean, we got people listening from New Zealand. Um, and some other parts of the country, other parts of the world. But, like, get some people together and start hosting some match play events. Maybe it's just something you do with, you know, a dozen of your friends. You guys have, you know, a weekend match play tournament or something. could literally be you and one other person. Right. It doesn't have to be a lot. But start playing match play and treat it that way. Put something on the line. Maybe you buy lunch. Maybe, uh, maybe it's bragging rights. Maybe it's you got... Uh, a head cover for the person that loses, you know, like you have to have this carry around this crappy head cover until, <coughs> um, until you win again. So even when we were out playing match play today, um, I was put in some situations, especially coming down the line that I'm not usually put in. Right. And it's like, where, where, uh, you know, I have to get up and down from a place to win against you. Or like I have to right. make one putt to win against you. And, if we're playing stroke play, I'm I'm usually never in those situations because like you're so far ahead of me at some point, right? And so even if you and I are playing together, but if we're playing match, uh, I mean stroke play, like and we're doing this with strokes, Pe- so right. people don't understand like yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you're it's not like you're out there making a bunch of triples, and stuff. right? Right. But like you're so far ahead of me at you know end of 12, 13, 14 holes, right? Just because you're naturally better than me and you've been playing the game for longer, uh, where there's like nothing on the line anymore. But with the match play, you know, I'm, re- I'm, I'm literally competing with you every single hole, and that's what makes it fun. Um, so I feel like match or with stroke play, you're either either given a bunch of sh- uh, uh, strokes and you're up for a long period of time, and then they slowly come back and win by, you know, six, eight strokes, whatever it is. But in match play, it's anybody's game, which is uh, right. fun, especially when you're playing somebody who uh, has a higher skill level than you. But yeah, I just wanted people to go challenge themselves to go do match play. You know, we mentioned Erica. Like, it's been very advantageous for her to build. It's a place you can build some confidence. It's a place you can learn to be comfortable making 
more birdies and more pars than what maybe what you're normally used to and get better at like not letting doubles and triples or bogeys bother you quite as much so I, I think it's just a wonderful tool to learn how to play and plus you get to play with other people and feel that like that tug on your shirt of like man I got I have to make I literally have to make this putt right now or I lose this hole and there's only one hole left you yeah. know all right, well, we'll kick off our live Q&A. Scott does have something to give away. Don't know what it is. If you want to find out. I, you have to listen all the way to the end. I'm not going to share it in front because I don't want that specific thing to be the reason why you're coming up to the mic. Love it. Questions? Anybody? Up here. Come up here. You got to come up and, and up talk here, to the microphone. We're going to swing the microphone around. With the Ryder Cup coming up, yeah. With the Ryder Cup coming up, who will be the top U.S. player for this weekend? Who will be the top U.S. player for the Ryder Cup this weekend? I've got like a one in twelve chance of getting this right. <laughs> Especially so, since uh, our boys aren't that good at match so play. So if you're listening to this after the fact. Um, because you will be listening to this after the fact. We're about to find out how good I was. Uh, oh, I never pick. thought about that. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I could see Cantlay being really good. I, I would. You know, with his putting, I, he he would be a solid pick. Um, uh, I said I said Scheffler in our Ryder Cup episode. I thought he could be a dark horse to be really good. I want Finau too, but I just don't see it. I'm JT. I'm just gonna to stick with that. captain. Like the cap, I'm gonna go with my captain pick. I'm gonna go with JT. Just the like we lost so bad last year. It wasn't even seventeen and a half to ten ten and a half. You might as well just it might as well just been. Did you see his uh, his foot joys that he's gonna be wearing nothing. this week? No. Yeah, one of them is like a U.S. flag. Uh, the other side is like a bald eagle. One side is like the Constitution, the we the, we the people, uh, and then like the other side is something else as well. So like it's 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 JT so sweet. all the way, baby. JT all the way. I love seeing him get jacked up too, especially when Tiger's on the course. You know him and him and Tiger have a great relationship, uh, and so when he gets jacked up and you see Tiger get jacked up, it's it's so much fun to watch. Sidebar: Tiger's done a lot of mentoring of these guys in the last like five years. And a lot of them have pretty close friendships with Tiger. Like Ricky, it's it's JT. really cool to see that. Yeah, um, yeah. Ricky, JT, Patrick Reed, a, a number of guys. Bryson, like Tiger, enjoys spending time with Bryson and learning from Bryson. So I just think that's cool. Just something unique that is about this game. Yeah, totally. All right, next question. I did better not talking too long. Okay, when you were talking about the Ryder Cup, you said that whistling straights was not a good choice for the Ryder Cup, and it's a beautiful course. We've played it, and I don't know why you would say that. It is one of my top three golf courses I've ever played. It, it is an absolute pleasure to play there, and it is, uh, it'll kick your teeth in pretty quick. Um, but when you look at um, 
It's basically a European-style golf course. You're in a colder climate. Uh, you have a lot of tall fescue grass. You have a lot of blind shots into areas you can't see. Um, hidden hazards and things like that. Like That's the design of that style. And it's in a place right off, like literally right off Lake Michigan right there that is just super windy. Now, the winds are supposed to be somewhere between, or as we're listening to this in retrospect, the winds were somewhere between 12 and 15 miles an hour sustained. Now, that means gusts are going to push north of 20, and when you're playing that close to the lake, it's not just Sheboygan, Wisconsin. It's You're specifically sitting right on the lake. Uh, I played there two years ago, uh, the year before it was supposed to be the the real Ryder Cup, and I'm just going, why, why are we having this here? Like, this is not an American golf course. Like, American golf courses are in the air, like... Throw it up, let it fall type stuff. Right, you've got fescue type rough you've got bermuda uh, not bermuda you got um what am i thinking of Jeez, uh kentucky bluegrass type rough um you know deep soft fairway bunkers and greenside bunkers you've got much firmer sand like it's very very european and how it'll play out um i mean they posted the picture of hole number eight <laughs> you literally can't see the fairway you have to hit it into no man's land like that's that's what europeans grew up on you know, they, they grow up on that style of golf course. We just don't have that. Like, most of our golf courses are what you see is what you get. Everything's out in front of you. Um, and Which so, begs like, the question here, what what course would you pick for the Ryder Cup this year if you could? Oh, we'd go to Medina. That was an easy pick. Sorry, that was right a really fast rip. pick. <laughs> like, it's long. Like, it's runway-type shaped holes. It's deep rough. Um, it's soft. Um, you've got soft sand around the greens. Uh, just very, very American-esque. Now, there's other American golf courses you could go to, but of ones that I've played, we'd go there. I just – obviously, it's a gorgeous venue, um, and there's more to picking a golf course than just European or American style. But I'm going, y'all, our, our – our record right now is not very good in the, since 1985. Why are we picking a golf course that is like European style? So, like, I think that hurts us. It doesn't mean we can't win. We've won in Europe. So it's, it's not that we can't win. It just doesn't help our chances to win, especially when you have a history of losing to Europe. I'm <laughs> like, they're losing. We're losing on our soil. Like, let's put it at Medina. Let's put it at these types of golf courses. So, uh uh, sorry. I'm just frustrated that we don't put it, make it to our advantage. Like, right? Why, Especially why with people like Bryson. On, like, too. Like, Bryson's a fantastic player, but if you put him in a, in a spot where he's having to consistently hit low tee balls and, you know, uh, scrambling out of tough situations, like he's just not a good pick. No. Now they've done things. So, uh, Stricker's already talked about this. They've taking the rough that normally is in a lot tighter and the fescue is a lot taller and they've kind of cut some of that back so there's more width left and right it's funny it's like hey we know that this golf course doesn't fit us so let's let's try and like widen the fairways out in a couple of spots let's uh, you can try and groom it a little bit but at its core it is not a 
Like they know it's not. The fact that we're building it that way and making those adjustments, we know we are at a disadvantage by playing here. Mm-hmm. So, anywho, great question. Lovely golf course. Absolutely. Like, if somebody says if you're going to go on a golf trip tomorrow, where'd you go? My top three picks would be I'd go Whistling Straits because of the whole Kohler Resort as well. It's fantastic. Then I'd go Medina. Then I go Pine Valley. Those are my three. I like that. Okay, next. Next question. For some type of giveaway, an undisclosed giveaway that Scott has says it's like cash if you're a golfer. It's valued more than a $10 bill. (laughs) Valued more than a $10 bill. Maybe I should ask a question so that I get I get a chance at it. <laughs> you could. You could. Come on. Don't be bashful. Love it, love it. Daniel. Come not, on up here, not Daniel. A fir- not a first-time caller. There you go. Okay, so. Get closer to that mic. It won't hurt you. Okay. Mm, bam. <laughs> Uh, I've never played match play before, so what are the, what's like the biggest strategy when I do that I need to, I need to know. All right, how long do we have to answer this question? Uh, yeah, we just had a forty-minute <laughs> podcast on it. Um, well, okay, let's take away some. Uh, see if you can pull up some situations that we had today. Uh. Order of play is really important. Um, I like to try and play first as often as I can. So one of my phrases I have in stroke play, I like this strategy as well in stroke play, is get control of the box. It means win the previous hole. Get control of the box. Like, I want to own the box. I'm the first tee off. Like, I want to be the first mover all the time. Tiger talked about this, and his playoff record's impressive. In playoffs, he would intentionally play back further so he'd be the first one to play in. If you want one strategy, it is I want to be the first one to play up. It's why when I do clinics and and stuff, I say, all right, do you want to go first or second? Their answer tells me everything I need to know. I want you to be a first mover type person in playoff play and in match play. I want to be the first one to hit the shot. I I don't care if, if you hit it 40 yards behind me Unless I have some other reason to blow it that much further past you, I still want to be the first one to hit the shot. Because if you stuff it in there, now the pressure's sitting on my shoulders. It's interesting you say that because I think about, like, as soon as you said that, for some reason, like, just sales came into my head. I never want to make a sale until I know all of the information that I can know about a client, right? Or know about a certain situation. So in match play, it would be the same thing, right? I want to be able to do what I want to do off the tee box and then be able to adjust my strategy based on all the information that I can. And sometimes that means, for example, on like a, on a par five or something, sometimes that mean, might mean taking a shorter club off so that you have that advantage, so that you see your, your, uh, you know, your, your opposing player hit their shot, their tee shot, and then you know the situation that they're in so that you can adjust your strategy accordingly. Uh, the other one I'll give, and Reiner's back here, we were watching the match play tournament this, this last weekend, is people don't use the concession that you're allowed to have often enough. Now, it's a little bit different at the tour level because 
their skill sets are so crazy high. But in a normal like match play event, like conceding a hole is actually quite advantageous if used in the right moment. Especially if a guy's made a couple, which we saw, guy made a couple putts early, and he's hot, and you struggle on the fourth hole. We saw this with the with the lead group. It's like concede the hole. You've lost it. And then instead, he's really upset after making a triple on the hole. I was like, dude, you lost the hole three shots ago. And now you compounded more bad shots on top of it on a hole that already hurts. And the emotions came out and chucked a ball into the river. And, like, he, he lost at that point. And just conceding a hole, match play is about control. It's about controlling it just like you hear in uh, football and basketball. Control the ball. Like, be in control of what's going on. That's match play. Like, be in control of what's happening. There's a lot Conceding of confidence. Conceding the hole is incredibly, like, I lost the hole. It's like, yeah, but you chose to lose it. You didn't lose it. There's a lot of confidence in putting the ball in the hole. Like, we've talked about this at length. If you, you know. Or not letting a guy put another one in and take another crack at it if he's hot. Yeah. So, if you've, if you've got a, if he's got a two-footer and you've got to make a 20-footer, let's say, be like, that's good. Yeah, well, um, make him pick his ball up. I don't. I think the the championship match uh, here in our match play was not lost in the first three holes. Really, wasn't even lost on five through. I guess they played through fifteen, five through fifteen. It was lost on hole four. Like, not conceding that hole the way he should have cost him the emotional like all of that stuff goes into it i mean he it cost him so much by not conceding that hole we could even go to like oh he could have taken a different drop from a hazard and all of that but not not conceding that hole put him out of it it was over match is over like i don't know if i told it to reiner or chuck but i was like match is over it's over it's done game over I don't even care what happens from here. He doesn't have a chance to come back. Not because he's three down after four, but because he didn't concede the hole and everything that came with that. So match play is about control, first and foremost. Uh, sometimes it means you want to tee off first. Sometimes that means you want to play in first. Uh, that doesn't mean that's an always thing. You know, like, I have an advantage hitting it far, so I have wedges in my hand. So that plays to my strength. So it's not that simple. Um, but it's all about control. Do you think that that, through through. that situation in the match play championship is just due to us being American and like fill, finishing every hole and being so focused on our score? I think that's like just the goal the is to win. It's not to put the ball in the hole every time. Yeah, I, I would. I think a lot of people play match play like it's stroke play. Sometimes you got to play defense. Correct. In stroke play, there is no defense. It's you against the golf course. Uh, however, in in stroke play, it's or in match play, it's you against the golf course and the other player or players if you're in a team format. So, I, I just it's a massive misunderstanding of the game if you're not trying to get control of what's going on around you. And I always want to be a first mover if you can. Then this goes well for stroke play or match play to sum it up but is get control of the box. I want the box. Here, Reiner, come up here. We got to watch this together. This is fun. Yeah. So, um, 
Where Scott was saying that he, um, when Scott, when you were saying that he should have conceded a hole on four, I agree with you. But at what point? So he hits the second ball left of the green into the hazard with weeds this high in front of him. And rather than taking a, a, a lift, you know, a, a drop, he decided to play the ball. It, he moved it a foot and a half and almost didn't find it. And then he hit it again. At that point, I, what I would have done, and I know what it's like hitting out of the hazard, especially when you're in match play, you take your drop and you, and you just go for bogey. It ended up that his opponent did get a five. So he would have tied the hole. Instead, he took a triple bogey, right? By trying to hit it twice out of the hazard. So that, that, uh, what I'm asking you now is, is um, at what point should he have conceded the hole? When, when, when he was gonna go take the, the, had he taken the drop and played that shot? Because he, he, should he have conceded it after that shot? Because he knew that the other uh, opponent was, was, was uh, down below the hole. So if, if I was playing for bogey, I, w I, I think I could have tied him if I took the drop. So when should I have conceded that hole? This is a great question. Uh, what? We are. Ask something okay. So, um, so to add a little more context to it, for those that are listening at home, you had uh, one player was in, we'll call it player A. You had player A in the hazard to the left, deep weeds chose to hit the shot you had player b was short of the green substantially was 40 yards from the hole neither of them hit a good shot par four number four out here excuse me sorry um so at this point you have to understand the other player a little bit and this is where i think player a screwed up player a was thinking about how can i shoot the lowest score on this hole not what is likely to happen from the other player. That was the mis... I, I think the error happened in... I'm just going to play it from the hazard. Try and get up on the green and make par. Like, he was all influenced by... Like, the emotions already had him wrapped around his little finger because the guy made two great putts in the first three holes. So, <clears throat> and great for him. You know, props to him, player B. But... That's where the error was made in terms of conceding. His first one stays in the hazard. That was the crazy part. Chips that up. The other guy's already on the green, but he's 30-something feet away. I still don't think you can, can concede it there because he's chipping five. I think you try and chip it in, but then when he left it to 12 feet, it's over. Like go ahead and you could concede it there. I think some would make the argument, let him putt up, and if he leaves himself a long putt, it's like, yeah, but you're putting for double. Just the statistical probability of that and the, the fact of being able to gain control of your situation, I think that outweighs, especially that early in the round. <clears throat> now, if it were like, if we we're on the 17th hole, I'm playing that crap all the way. Like, I'm playing that thing all the way out, but not that early in the round. One second, everybody who's listening. So, right. 
what was being said is if he left it in the hazard, he should have just conceded from that point on. But it's my understanding that he hit two shots out of the hazard, correct? He, he did hit two. Yeah. So, so second shot out, went in, his third stayed in. Um, he should have conceded <clears throat> after he didn't get it out the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the thing, I, like, as I think back, and these are the little things people miss about match play, too. Order of play is really important. If you play out of order, you can, like, I don't remember all the exact rules, but if somebody plays out of order, you can, I believe, request them to replay the shot. So, like, I don't even know who was actually away in that scenario, and I don't think either of them really thought about it. I Like, that's important to me, because I think player B was actually further from the hole, but he didn't play first. So... I've got an interesting th- th- comment. Like, it, it just, this is why people they're just playing it like a stroke play and like I'm just going to play and we're going to play quick because that's what we do here at the bridge because we're busy and you just need to learn how to play fast but like it's just like match play is a different thing play it differently I Reiner, think Reiner's right this that is something too been conceded way before probably even on the green as Americans I don't think we have uh enough hero moments if that makes any sense I don't think unless you've played sports your entire life or at a very high level where you've had to come through in the clutch multiple times i don't think as casual golfers and people who are just out here on the weekends or whenever they get a chance to play after work are exposed to those kind of tournament nerves and especially in a match no, play event not. when you're going mano e mano you need to be able to practice those situations because as soon as you're in them if it's your first time playing match play like you're not He's I'm, not going to think not, clearly there. You're not going to think clearly, and I'm sorry, you're just not going to execute in that situation. If, if, it's, I, if it's your first time feeling it. If I was a caddy there, I'd be going, wait a second, he's playing first. He plays first before I even think about what I'm going to do from the bunk, from off the green there. It's like, okay, well, he barely got that ball on the green. He had 35, 40 feet left, and he doesn't have a great putting stroke. I mean, he's made three, two or three great putts, and I told Brooks and Chuck this. I said, at this point... Dude's made two long putts. He's a six handicap. He's made two birdies in the first three holes. The statistical probability of him continuing to make birdies for the next 15 holes is next to zero. He has almost no chance to make another birdie. So I'm like, oh, we're good. We're great. Oh, now he's got a 35-footer. He's going to three-putt one of these. I'm going to wait to see him play up first. Like, you hit first. Then I'll decide what I'm going to do. I think he was away. He was down pretty far, and player A was up whole high. He was closer, like, and he played out of order, like, even even better. Like, it's just it's just neat to me, right? And you would have he could have made the decision to contribute. with where to he take hit it and going thirty five feet. Like, well, he's gonna make bogey. Me hitting it out of this hazard from this lie has a big fat giant question mark on it. It could do anything. It could stay in here. It could go screaming over the green. It could come up short. And even then, I don't know where it's going to come out. So remember, match play is all about control. I don't know what's going to happen in that scenario. By taking a drop, especially now that you can drop knee high, you can get a lot more control where that ball is going to settle. I have control of my situation. I took a drop. Yes, I'm hitting four from here. But I can chip it up and leave myself inside of 10 feet, no problem. That's He has enough skill. Both these players are mid-single-digit handicaps. They have enough skill to pitch a ball up to inside of 10 feet. We say the match is about a control. fair look about at making a bogey. We talk In about fact, con- putting pressure on Scotty. the player. Scotty, Sorry, Scotty. I'm 
can't stop my train of thought. We talk about control, okay? Yes. We're talking about it from what the individual player can control, right? I hate talking about I can only control what I can control. It's like, no, in a match play situation, I can control what they control, too. Yes, if I'm going to say this, I'm going to be like, you know what? Like the same way we talk about like, yeah, why don't you hit first? Or like, why don't you, why don't you go? Like put them in situations that make them uncomfortable, especially if they have a, a mid to high handicap and they don't have any experience being clutch. And let's be honest, if you're playing with your boys, you know who's clutch and who's not or who can handle the nerves and who can't. If you have a guy who can't handle the nerves, make them do something change that momentum in your favor we never think about that because we always think about how can we shoot lower scores but if you're playing in a match play or you're playing against your buddy make them handle some nerves put some pressure on them we don't do that enough well here's one of, here's one of the things i've seen happen oh this is good yeah so so this is interesting for the people that find it interesting okay and, and, and Scott doesn't know about this yet. I, I, I played player B and, lo and lost to him. But uh, before that, I had, I had to get past player C. And we tied. We, we, we finished tied on 18. We ended up having to play um, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 that night and we had to finish in the dark so and we were still tied so but at that point we were at 26 holes uh, we came back the next day i hope you find this interesting this we came back the next day and we started on 18. the guys the guys in pro shop got us out on 18. i duffed my drive i was i was in between the men's and the ladies tees and i, I said immediately to myself strategy wise i'm not going to par this hole so i'm going to play for a bogey so I hit it up, and I was four feet. I was four feet from his ball. And I said, I just need to stick it in. What? No. <laughs> Carlos. Got it. Always, always one in the crowd. Eh? And um, so I hit it in about 12 feet from the pin. He was, sorry, about 20 feet from the pin. He was 12. So he's lying two. I'm lying, I'm lying, uh, uh, sorry, uh, to, I'm lying three, and I was away. I left my putt uh, four feet from the from the pin, and he, he, you know I just marked it, and I was watching watching him putt, and he he just about sunk the birdie putt, just about sunk the birdie putt, and as as I'm going to get my ball and line up and, and, and make my putt, he le he left it about a foot and a half. Talk about trying, and I didn't do it on purpose because I, I don't I don't try and make the opponent feel bad about what he did. But as I'm walking to my ball to 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 um, to spot it, I said I, I would have rather lost to a birdie than a par because he lipped out right, and he left it a foot and a half, and I I figured I lost right, so I went up, I drained my putt for bogey, so I got my bogey. And he stood over that putt. He stood over that putt for a good minute and a half and freaking missed it. Missed the freaking putt. So we, we, had, we had to go another hole, right? So now we're at 27 holes. We go into 10. I knocked it on the green in, uh, in three, four feet from the pin and, uh, and, and, and hold it for birdie. 
and he took he took a par, and that was the end of the match. But I, I think it ended, it ended actually on 18 when he missed the putt, that foot and a half putt. I, I, whether whether I said you know I would have rather lost it to a birdie, uh, affected him or not, I don't know. But that pressure for him for that foot and a half, it it did it, it did it all. Thank you. So no, I I think it's good. So I. A couple of things I think were going on there. One, like you're just kind of a vocal guy anyway, and like honestly, like us good players like that, like we don't, like I, like I would rather you make the birdie and me lose to you playing well than me than neither of us really playing that good and losing. Like I want to lose to somebody who's playing well, you know. And so I think that's just a genuine compliment. And it all of a sudden that foot and a half putt felt like eight feet to him. And missed it, and then guess what he feels out of control going in after when he misses it, going to the next hole. It's like, crap, now, now I'm definitely not going to win this thing. So all about control. This is great. I love that story. That's good. All right. Come on. Yeah, Brian. Okay. First off, I want to know what kind of hookup you have that you're taking a golf trip to Pine Valley. And can I come? Second off. Secondly, what are your thoughts? And this actually goes back to his story. Uh, intentional or not, that was gamesmanship. What are your thoughts on more, more obvious intentional gamesmanship than that? You know, um, what's interesting is that, like, me and – if I ever get the chance to play with Michael Miller, Michael Miller does that all <laughs> Michael, the time. That's Michael Miller. Michael Miller talks during his golf swing um, while he's swinging if you're playing with him. I love this Michael. Um, I had the privilege of going to play Pine Valley – uh, when I was in college, we had one of our alumni who was on the golf team when he was at Ohio Wesleyan. He had become a member there, and he called one other former alumni to help pay for the event. They paid for us to play three rounds at Pine Valley, two days, full lodging, everything on site, food, apparel, the whole Kit Kat and Caboodle, caddy fees, everything. All we had to do was pay, a, pay for a plane ticket. So. I don't know that I have that kind of hookup, but I could make a couple phone calls and maybe get there. It would cost me a lot of money to just go around. I tell you that much. Um, but uh, so, secondly, was the uh, the thoughts on gamesmanship? Um, it's interesting. Okay, let me let me take this one. Uh, let me take you go this first. one. So, gamesmanship, I think, is really important. I've I've grown up playing team sports my entire life, where gamesmanship is just. It's just the game. You either handle it or you don't. And I think it, it gets interesting in golf because, you know, where we talk about you have to hit every single shot, it almost feels like personal attacks sometimes just because you are kind of playing mano y mano. And so if you're not used to handling it, I think you can crumble under the pressure. But, like, in a team sport, it's fine because you got other guys to, like, have your back and be like, well, let's go kick their asses. Excuse me. Um, whereas like in golf, sometimes I feel like it, it, it feels more personal. So I, th I think it just depends on if you can handle it or if you can't. Yeah. And I think it's, I think how it's delivered is really important. Fair. Oh, that's um, great. Yep. 
there's a way in which it's done where you're attacking a person's character deliberately. And from a morality standpoint, I'm not okay with that. That's just a personal ethics standpoint. I'm not okay with that. But like you and I are going to, I mean, we do it with each other when we play. Like, so, I mean, the intent of, I can't measure somebody's intent. Um, I've been on the receiving of end of this in, uh, man, this goes all the way back to high school. Um, but I was in, I was in a playoff to go to state and I can't even remember the specific comment the guy made. I had, hit a drive right at the center of the fairway and he made some comment about don't hit it in the bunker on the short right and I hit it in the bunker short right and made bogey and lost um the fun part was one of the kids on the one of the older upperclassmen on the team uh his older brother had overheard it and just like lit into this kid as we walked all the way back and so it's just like like I didn't even know the kid and it was just like I think it was misplaced or misused like if it's me and Reiner or me and you or me and John in a playoff, we might have a little fun with it. Like You bet I'd be talking some smack. Oh, absolutely you would be. So I think context and intent uh, are important how it's delivered. It's there out there on the PGA Tour. I mean, they, those guys do it with each other all the time. I so, love the, the indirect know. Gamesmanship. We talk a lot about how yeah. the uh, the veterans on the driving range will come up and squeeze these rookies to where <laughs> they like. Yeah, it, it almost feels like the veterans are going to get hit right, and who ends up moving the rookie because like they feel the most pressure. They feel these guys on their back. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're the ones who have to have to give it up because they're the younger guys, right? And so like those guys on the tour are doing it all the time to each other. Yep. There's a lot of subtle under under the hood type stuff and when you're a part of a team for a long amount of time you get that it's just i'm pushing your buttons i don't really mean anything by it but like the rookies and and the guys who aren't used to it are the ones who end up getting offended because they don't know the intention around it Um, it's weird because intent and being able to handle it both come out of uh experience done, done done inappropriately like if you can't handle the negative then it shows a lack of character strength yep. to a certain degree. Being able to, your identity is in how that person thinks about you. And on the flip side, like you're so afraid of playing bad that you're going to attack somebody else. Like both of those come from insecure positions. And so I can't measure somebody's intent on something, but it happens and it, it's hard to learn how to handle it. Reiner's got to come. Corn Ferry and the Caddy. A couple weeks ago, Corn Ferry with the Caddy. Oh. Apparently, there were some things going on where it's like, uh, you didn't even help me look for my ball. Just kind of being like making him feel kind of put down in that situation. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. So... um, I'm still under the full belief that the responsibility of your play falls on your back 100% of the time. If you didn't ask the other guys to come help you look for the, your ball, there's no there's no rule that says you have to go help a player look for their ball. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm saying there's no rule that says you have to go help a player look for their ball. It's so not it's even like, written explicitly in the unwritten rules, if that makes nope, any like it's it's nope. not even in there. Like, you know, and an sometimes like if a, you've got multiple players in a group, like, man, my ball's way over here. I gotta go look for mine and you gotta go look for yours. Like right. 
Right, right. Comment was suggestive of a fight. Yeah, it was. Ooh, the other caddies was his father. They actually yeah, had to bring the police in and escort him out. <laughs> yeah, this uh, it didn't catch. I feel a like lot a translator. <laughs> That's funny. Talking to the people no, listening. So, at home. like, we're back to the job of the player is to be in control of himself and his caddy. Like if your caddy's inciting stuff that's causing problems, get your caddy off. Like if, if you're doing that and I'm playing and you're doing that crap, you're going home, bro. Give me my bag. Get out of here. Like, cause you're making it bad for everybody. So I still am going to put the, the brunt of all of that on that, on both the individual players. Like the player with the caddy who was saying things he shouldn't should take control of that situation it shouldn't ever get to the police. It shouldn't like it, there's no need for it to. Grab your caddy, get him off the golf course. He leaves. On the other flip side of like, hey man, you didn't help me look for my ball or whatever. It's like, well, you didn't ask. There's no rule that says I have to. Maybe I was so in my own little world for a moment that I didn't like. So responsibilities. Everybody wants to put the blame. The blame lies with yourself. I know that's a heavy statement, but that's. Sorry, that's my take. There's the police showing up. Shame on both of you. Cool. Come on, give me <laughs> one more. Give me one more. One more. I'm going to see if I can uh, think about one, especially around <coughs> Ryder Cup time of year. Dana's already had one. John. John. Nice. Host of the. I don't have it. Drum roll, please. I can, wait, hold on. I can, I can give it. To, oh, no, we're going to get copyrighted. Yeah, can't I can't do, do it. it. Yeah, so I'm really sad I didn't get walk-up music. Cue Inter Sandman. <laughs> I disappear. Right group. Wrong song. Um, so... Um, I sent you a text message yesterday about my, my practice session. Didn't go very well. I just said, you know, I'm just going to toss this one out because it wasn't up to my wasn't up to my standards, and I knew I could, you know, could do better, and I had been doing better than that here pretty recently, so I just kind of chalked it up to a bad night. And there were some extenuating circumstances to, I think, to why said session didn't go quite as well as, um, as I had hoped. So, um my question is when when to do that after a practice session you know when when do you you know just chalk it up to a bad night throw it out or when do you kind of take a little bit harder look at it to see you know maybe what direction you're going if you're regressing or if you're not or if you're if you're plateauing or you know things along something like that you know when is it i guess when when does it get to when is it just a bad night, or when is it just um, when is it when is it a problem? I guess that's a great question, um, and I'm going to harken back to uh, a great experience I had in college. Um, my coach talked about seven mental success files, and we had um, for I believe it was two of our years there. Um, every practice we had, we had in our we had these little binders. In the binder, we had um, just kind of a mental preparedness checklist for that day, uh, and we had goals for that day. And those goals weren't 
make X percentage up and down out of whatever. They were things that we actually have control over. Like you don't actually have control over whether you're going to get 75% of them up and down in your up and down game that you had. <clears throat> but you do have control of how you handle situations, how focused you are, etc. So he actually always started practice there. And so if your evaluation of those things is actually really low, like if your scores are really low on that, how you actually performed in that practice was a complete toss out. Um, I did this last night. And if you're listening to this, this would have been well over a week ago with my elite juniors. Their first time chipping, we did this basic pitching um, exercise around the green and the performance was terrible. Like it was awful. Like they weren't even anywhere close to decent pitches. They all had to pitch up five, take the average one and finish it out. I mean, we had a really like a 35 or 40 foot circle. Like it was, it was awful, but I wasn't upset about the poor performance. I was upset about the lack of intent and focus that led to said performance. And so I pulled him aside. I was like, this is, and before I even said it, one of the points was like, yeah, I know what you're going to say. This is terrible. I was like, you know part of what I'm going to say. <clears throat> I said, this is an elite class. What kind of effort are we giving right now? And the answer was a uniform, not elite. And so it's about intent. And John experienced this um, when we made, in cracking the code 1.0, we made that turn to the start of the year. I said, none of you have practiced hard enough. And like John took some offense to that, which, which if you take it, if you look at it, different lens I was looking at through um, the amount of time they were putting in was way more than probably anybody in the state of Tennessee as a group of adults working on their game but the intentionality of the rep will have and when John caught on to that it made a really big difference and so we had a nice conversation where he's like man I kind of took some offense to that I was like I understand why you did but let me get let me pull the layers back a little deeper and we really connected there in that kind of conflict moment which i really like is it's about intent if you're giving me everything you got like if those guys had everything they had in that elite folks rep was very intentional you could see them really trying to make the correct movements uh really focused on hey i just chipped two balls 15 feet to the left let me make an adjustment and it still didn't get much closer <clears throat> but it didn't stay to the left, maybe it went too short or too long or too right, whatever. I wouldn't have cared about the outcome. The outcome was evidence of a lack of intent. And so <clears throat> I'm back to you're not in control of the outcome. You're in control of you. And so if you have a day that's just like you're just not in it and maybe you don't realize it fully till after the fact, toss it out. Like I wasn't there. Um, you did make a highlight, though, at the end. You were able to, like, pull yourself together in your last kind of out of that putting drill. And so, like, I would grab a hold of that positive thing and go, hey, when I can get some control over the, the thing, I got to get there. Some days you're going to have bad days, but you still got to push through because you're going to play in tournaments like that. And so you do have to be able to work through that. So there's, I guess to answer your question, start with the mental side. Now, if you're having a repeat pattern of poor performance days like that because you're in a poor mindset then I think you start looking at making some improvements in certain areas but if it's a one-off which it seems like based on all the other stuff you sent me I wasn't there and then I would set a I would set a goal to make sure I'm not in that same mindset the next time like hey my goal today is not going to be outcome based it's going to be control of x whatever that emotional thing is like <clears throat> I'm not going to get out of my car till 
the stuff at work or the stuff with family or the stuff with whatever is behind me. I'm not going to get out of this car until I leave that here. And if at any moment I bring that into my situation here, I'm going to leave or I'm going to take a 15 minute break. Like you can come up with however you want to do that, but put some, put some parameters on it for you that kind of hold yourself accountable. If that makes sense. That's a great question. Where are we at on time? I think it'd be time for. What am I giving away? Yep. A sleeve of Pro V1s. Ooh. Valued more than a $10 bill. That's correct. Like I said earlier. <laughs> so, I love giving stuff away. Like, I don't know. I just think that's fun to give people stuff. Especially stuff that gets lost and Titleist makes more money. So. What a great business model, making uh, making golf balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People are like, why aren't there chips and golf balls like they have at Top Golf and whatever? I said, even if the tech is there, which it is, it's going to get bought up by a company like Titleist, Callaway, Bridgestone. Like somebody's going to buy it up and kill it. Because the most lucrative part of the golf business is the golf ball business. It's why, think about it. There are companies now that they pay the golf course to come take old golf balls out of their water hazards, out of their ponds and their lakes. So the golf course gets a cut for somebody else to come out and take golf balls out so they can go and refurbish and sell them. It's the most lucrative part of the business. It's why you have Vice Golf Balls Kirkland. And Kirkland, by the way, is a uh, is a Callaway company. <laughs> so Callaway's smart. Callaway's in the used club market. Callaway, in terms of like understanding like overall business models and how the world currently works, they are way ahead of the curve. And it's one of the reasons why they're successful. And I'm not even endorsing Callaway. I'm just saying they're smart. So, but yeah, free golf balls. We're gonna, it's part of the game. We're gonna wrap it up here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, but. If you just heard, literally gave away sleeves of Pro V1s. So if you're not here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge at 630, uh, especially for the q and I feel like we give out a lot of stuff during the Q&A yep. for people who ask questions because uh, we want to answer questions and we want the people who are listening to be able to hear those questions and get their questions answered because more than likely, you guys have the same question too. So That's true. from Scott and Jack here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, make sure you follow Scott on Instagram at Golf. He's been posting some great stuff over on his Instagram. If you want to get better, you need to follow him. You need to listen to the Champions Playbook, and you need to come take a lesson from him if you haven't already. So And download the Franklin Bridge Performance app. Download the Franklin Bridge Performance app. We're going to be doing a lot of good stuff there here in the next coming, well, coming months, especially with the new improvements on the golf course as well. So you might get some cool stuff there. So from Scott and Jack here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, we're going to wrap it up here, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at Golf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, as well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So as always... Feel free to come by the back porch of the Persimmon Pub at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf. So book a late afternoon round of golf, and then afterwards, come on inside, get some food, some drinks, 
Uh, we got some specials going on. We had some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode and then a live Q&A and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays, we hope to see you soon. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace.